Lord Jesus, we thank you for your amazing deep love of us. Lord, we are not deserving of that love. In fact, we have run away, Lord, from your great love. As individuals and as a human race, Lord, we have gone the opposite way. We've done everything we can to rebel against you, yet you demonstrated your great love for us and that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Father, we know that you love us, and I pray that today as we open the Scripture, that you will help us to see in fresh ways how you want to love the world around us through us, how you want to use us as your vessels, as your ambassadors to represent your love to the world around us. We pray that you will be our teacher through your word and through your spirit today, and that the words of my mouth will honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Back when I was in seminary, I worked each of my summers, four different summers, at a landscape supply company. It was called Lurvy Landscape Supply. I really enjoyed it. It was a great place to work uh, in terms of I had great supervisors, a great general manager there. I learned a lot while I was there. I mean, going into it, I knew next to nothing about plants. You may not believe it, but I, when I grew up, I was actually scared of flowers. For some reason, I just didn't like flowers. And the next thing I know, I'm working with flowers day in, day out. And it was a great company to work for. I mean, they did a lot of business. It was, it was a lot of fun. But one of the things that was unique about working there, which I'd never experienced somewhere else, is that there was a very specific dress code in what we are to wear. You would think, okay, what do you wear at a landscape supply company? Well, here it is. It wasn't as fancy as some of the things I've had to wear elsewhere, but you were expected to wear something that had the logo of Lurvy Landscape Supply on it. That was the name of the company. And so every day, this was my apparel. I also had other I had jackets that looked like this, had sweatshirts that looked like this, had pullovers that looked like this. Every day, though, I had to wear something that identified me as an employee of Lurvy Landscape Supply. And, of course, I had my hat that also had the same logo on it. So this is about the least faded hat I have from there. It's amazing how much the sun fades things when you're out there every day. But one of the things that was very interesting to me as I was wearing that apparel is I realized wherever I go, if I'm wearing that, I'm representing the company of Lurvy Landscape Supply. You see, I'd had many jobs before that at various places, whether at stores or out in city parks or on campus at school, mowing yards. But this was the first place I actually was wearing some sort of clothing that identified me with the company that showed that I am a representative of the company for which I work. And this really came to mind, especially whenever I left the actual uh, facilities of my landscape supply company. For instance, I would occasionally be sent out on an errand, perhaps to Home Depot to pick something up, or perhaps to another landscape supply company to, to pick something up or to drop it off, or sometimes I would even go out on deliveries to people's houses. And every time I was outside the facilities of Lurry Landscape Supply and I was wearing this apparel, I realized everyone knows I am a representative of this company. And so that, was, that made me think I'm not just out here representing myself as I would be if I were just wearing street clothes. I'm out here as a representative of this company. And it, it kind of gave me this idea of I'm, I'm doing something bigger than just myself right here. Maybe you've had experiences like this as well, where maybe with the job that you've had, or maybe with an organization you're volunteering with, or even your church, that you have the sense that you are representing something that's bigger 
than yourself. And it gives you a sense of responsibility that, that you don't want to let them down. I mean, you think about it. You see someone out in the parking lot, for instance, doing donuts. If they're just out there in a normal car, you think, okay, what are they doing? Why are they doing donuts? <coughs> if they're out there, though, in a UPS truck doing donuts, it reflects really badly on the UPS, doesn't it? That's kind of the way it is, that when you represent someone, you want to represent them well. You don't want to give them a bad name. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, we see this remarkable example of, of someone who we represent. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We are called God's ambassadors. If we are followers of Christ, we are ambassadors. We are representatives to the world around us. And what that is saying is that when the world looks at us, they shouldn't just see us in and of ourselves. They should see Christ shining through us and living through us. In fact, earlier in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 2, Paul actually says that we should smell like Christ. You may wonder, okay, what's that talking about? What does it mean to smell like Christ? Is there like Christian cologne or should we have like body odor? Because back then they didn't take showers as much. What does it mean? Well, over in 2 Corinthians 2, here's what Paul says. He says that God is spreading everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? So what Paul is saying here is that as we go about our lives representing Christ, and if we are faithfully representing Christ, we're going to have this figurative aroma of Christ. That we are, in essence, going to kind of smell like Christ. That when, that when people see us and see the things that we do and they hear us talk, they're going to see the things that Christ would do and say if he were there in their very presence. For some people, it's going to be incredibly repulsive. They're going to, they're going to see our Christ-like lives, and they're going to, going to want nothing to do with that. The smell of death. For others, though, they're going to see our, our, our Christ-like lives, that we are being a faithful ambassador for, for Christ, and that's going to be incredibly attractive. They're going to be drawn to Christ. They're going to, going to want to know more about this Christ that we are representing. Then we are that pleasant aroma, that pleasant fragrance of Christ. Other places in Scripture, the church is called the body of Christ, that we are Christ's hands and Christ's feet in this world, and that we represent him, that the, when the world looks at us, they should see Christ. And so we see this remarkable reality that we are representatives for Christ in this world. And that gives us a high calling. It's a privilege, but it's also a responsibility. And today I want to look at a passage that says, that shows very clearly how Christ intends for us to live in this world. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. If you didn't bring a Bible with you but would like to follow along, you can grab one from the pew or the chair in front of you. We're in John 13 today. We're in the second of four weeks in a series called Generous. We're seeking to see how do we live lives characterized by generosity towards those around us. Last week we started by looking at God, looking at the idea of God's generosity to us, especially shown through Jesus Christ. But he's generous, generous to us in so many different ways. Last week, we looked at a video clip from the movie Remember the Titans that had this idea, it was actually a phrase, that said, attitude reflects leadership. It's the idea that if we are following God as our leader, 
that our attitude should be the same as his. And in terms of what we're talking about in the series, an attitude of generosity. He's generous. Our attitude should reflect his generosity towards others. And today we're looking very specifically at how this attitude of generosity affects our day-to-day lifestyle. And this passage we're coming to in John 13 today, it occurs very, very near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He is just about to be arrested. He's going to be put on trial. And then he's going to be crucified. And in these final hours that he has with his disciples, he wants to give them a lasting memory of how he intends them to live in this world. So I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, about what Jesus did to, to really impress upon them how they are to live. John writes that it was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that, his, that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, what we're going to look at in this passage is a mentality that drives generosity. We're going to see that generosity flows out of a mentality of being a blessing to others. That there's this mentality that is inside generous people that, that, that leads them to want to be a blessing to others, leads them to want to serve others, leads them to want to bring good to others. And last week we looked at what could be called the anatomy of generosity. How oftentimes when we talk about being generous, we're talking about any variety of other things that we should do. We're talking on the level of actions. But if we start just with actions, all we're trying to do is engage in behavior modification. And that will not have any sort of lasting or deep impact. But what, what we talked about last week was the gospel. God's generosity to us. And how the gospel then flows down into our attitude or our mentality and gives us an attitude of generosity. And then that flows out into generous actions in various realms of our lives. And so today we're focusing in on that central portion, the issue of our attitude or our mentality. How do we grow in having a generous attitude? Well, that's what we're going to look at here today. And we're going to look at the attitude of Jesus first of all. The mentality of being a blessing that Jesus shows that, that he knew that he was king. Look in verse 3. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Over in Matthew 28, Jesus said something very similar to this. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus was the top dog. I mean, in today's terms, he was kind of like the big man on campus. I mean, he's the king of kings, he's lord of lords, he's the creator and the sustainer and the ruler of everything. He he has all power, and it says that he came from God, he knew that he had come from God, and he knew that he was soon going to return to God. He'd stepped off his heavenly throne for a bit of time, about 30 years, but he knew that soon he was going to be returning to that heavenly throne. And you think about this, you think about what would have been going through Jesus' mind, what would be going through our minds if we were in that spot And it's quite amazing to see what happens next. It says, Jesus, knowing who he was, knowing that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, he gets up from the table, 
He takes off his outer garment. He wraps a towel around his waist. And he begins to wash his disciples' feet. He chose to serve his disciples. Now, in our culture, it's kind of a strange thing to think about washing people's feet. I mean, you may wash your feet in the shower or something like that, but you typically don't think about washing your feet when you come into a house. But back then, this was very common practice. Let me explain. Back then, most people didn't wear enclosed shoes. I mean, nice thing about the shoes that I typically wear, they, they keep my feet relatively clean. I, I don't pay much attention to my feet um, because I don't see them very much. But back then, people wore sandals. That was the common footwear back then. That left their feet very exposed. And, and on dusty city streets or even country roads, their feet would get very, very dirty. And, I mean, just to give you a picture of this, in the major cities there, the main roads would be paved with stone. But then the side roads would just be dirt. If it was rainy, it would turn to mud. Um, I mean, they had some degree of sanitation type sewage systems there, especially in the main streets and the ritzier parts of the city. But in other parts of the city, there would just be raw sewage running beside the street. I mean, in our culture, that seems awfully strange, awfully disgusting. In their culture, that was simply the norm. I mean, they would have garbage out there. I mean, you, you try to avoid that stuff, but even still, if it's out there, there's going to come a point where some of that gets on your feet. There are animals around there. Today, our, our common forms of transportation besides walking are things like cars and bikes. They didn't have cars and bikes back then. So if they want to do something besides walking, say if they had a wagon they needed to pull with some stuff on it, they would get a donkey or some other form of animal. Uh, they may ride a donkey if they're, if they're trying to get somewhere long distance or something like that. You know that when there are animals around, I'm not, that doesn't even include like the wild dogs and stuff that are around, when there are animals around, you're going to get poo all over the place. That's just reality. I mean, if you've been to a parade um, where there are horses, you know what that's like, don't you? That as much as they try to contain the poo in these little bags behind the horse, it still gets all over the place. I mean, you, you've seen the parade routes after the, the horses have gone. I remember back when I was in high school, I was in marching band, and you could probably tell where this is going, but I was in marching band. I played the trumpet. We were playing a song right down um, this big, busy main street of town. Tons of people all over the place. There are tons of bands out there. Just marching along. All of a sudden, I hear the crowd go, ooh, and, and I didn't really know what was going on there. After the parade, someone informed me that I was the one who happened to step in the horse poo there on the street. And after, I, after they told me that, I looked down and realized they were, true, they were right. That's the reality. When you have animals around, and that was the reality back then, that as people are walking around, their sandaled feet, their, their feet are getting messy. And so the common practice whenever someone would enter their home was they would have some water there, a towel there, and they would simply wash off their feet. That was simply common practice back then. If you were to go to someone else's house, the hospitable thing to do would be for the, the host to offer you a basin of water and a towel to wash off your own feet. If there happened to be a servant who was employed in the house, perhaps the servant may wash your feet. Now, back in that culture, there were cases where peers would wash one another's feet, but it was extremely rare only in a case of showing great love. Extremely rare for that to happen. And nowhere in ancient literature... From the, from the Jewish world, from the Greco-Roman world, nowhere in ancient literature except right here in John 13 do we see a superior 
washing the feet of someone who's inferior. Nowhere else do you see that. But here, listen to what Jesus did. I mean, it says, He knew the Father had given him all this power in the entire universe. Verse 4, So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and began to wash his disciples' feet. He made an intentional choice to serve there. And I think the timing of this event is especially important because this is right before Jesus was going to be arrested. He wants to leave a lasting memory in the minds of his disciples about what it looks like to live a Christ-like life. And this Christ-like life is meant to be one of service, of being a blessing to others, of being generous in how you are reaching out to others. And I think it would be easy to discount this one scenario if this was an isolated incident and the rest of the time Jesus was operating with this sense of entitlement of I'm better than you. But that wasn't what Jesus did. I mean, he certainly had the credentials to do that. But his whole life was characterized by servanthood and by generosity and by giving to others. Over in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is basically giving this big picture view about Jesus and who he is. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 6, Paul says, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And it goes on to talk about Jesus after he was human, he went on and humbled himself even more to dying on a cross. But it says, Jesus, he was in very nature God. But he didn't consider equality with God someone to be grasped. That word for grasped means someone to be exploited, someone to be used for his own benefit. Instead, he was willing to lay that glory aside. He did not have the sense of entitlement of, I'm better than everyone else, so therefore they should serve me. Instead, instead in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, um, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. This characterized Jesus' entire life. His life was one of giving of himself, which culminated on the cross. Jesus was incredibly generous. He was focused on being a blessing to others, not on, on being blessed himself. And we see this throughout his life. And you see he, he's in crowds of people and he's healing people. And, and these crowds just keep coming to him. They want to be close to Jesus. And it's getting late at night. He's getting weary. But he still is out there meeting with people, healing them, teaching them, giving them what they need. I mean, you see, he's busy. He's on a mission going someplace, and someone comes up and touches him. They just want a little piece of Jesus, and, and they come up, and he stops what he's doing. He turns to, them and, turns to that person and gives her his full, undivided attention. I mean, you see this life of generosity and other centeredness lived out in Jesus from his birth to his resurrection and beyond. So Jesus is living an intentional choice of being a servant, being a blessing to those around him. And he also says, you know what? You need to look at what I did. You need to live that out in your life too. I'm living my life as an example, Jesus says. Jump over in John 13 with me to verse 12. We're going to skip over part of this where Jesus is washing Peter's feet and they have a discussion which is very important but not as relevant for our topic today. Picking up in verse 12, it says that when Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Jesus is saying, you know what? You've seen what I've done. Now go out and do likewise. You don't necessarily, I mean, it doesn't always mean, okay, just wash everyone's feet you come to. That's not exactly what he's saying. He's saying, live your life with, with generosity and serving others and being a blessing to others, not just in looking what, for what you can get yourself. And this shows what Jesus is calling us to is to intentionally choose to serve as well. And this choice to serve really is an intentional choice because we in our natural sinful state are naturally going to be self-centered. We're going to be looking at what can we get? How can other people benefit me? How can this situation uh, help me out? That's just naturally what we are. We, we naturally can carry this sense of entitlement, especially in today's culture. I mean, even where our advertising um, plays into that of your way right away or what have you done for me lately or stuff like that. I mean, we're told that we're the center of the universe and that creates this sense of entitlement and entitlement prevents us from really being able to serve others selflessly. We also live in a culture that is extremely fast-paced where we are just going, 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 where if you're a parent, you're constantly running your kids to and from this event and you, you get tired and you have your job that's working you 45, 50, 60, 70 hours a week and you're busy with all these other various things you're involved in and it's easy just to get tired and to feel like, you know, I don't really have that much I can give. And then you hear, come here and hear the series on generosity and you're like, well, it's a nice idea, but, but where do I really go from here? I, I don't know what I have to give. But all these things point to the important, importance of making the intentional choice to serve. Because serving is something that doesn't come naturally, doesn't come easily, because we were all naturally focused on ourselves. I remember back when I was a college student, I was involved in a campus ministry, and there was this large worship gathering that took place on a monthly basis in the Twin Cities over in, in Minnesota. That's where I was going to college in Minnesota. This event was about an hour and a half away from us. And we would typically take a couple vehicles of, of college students to this event. It was simply, a, it was a great, very encouraging worship gathering. Multi-ethnic type thing, a wide variety of music, wide variety of ethnicities involved. It was a beautiful event each month. Each month after the event, you would go down to the basement of the church where it was held, and you would have refreshments and, and just hang out and have fun. And each, each month, they would ask someone, a particular school, if they would host the refreshments, host the, the snacks and stuff that month. And one month, they asked our school. So I was in charge of it, and so we got a bunch of food, hauled it up in my truck, and um, we had to have some people to help out during the worship event to help prepare the food so it would all be ready when people came downstairs. This required a sacrifice. I remember I asked one particular um, college student, her name was Lori, I asked her, Lori, would you be able to help, um, help prepare the food uh, so that we can all be ready when people come down? And she looked at me and said, no, I want to go up there. I want to be up there during the worship time. Uh, I'm not going to do that. She didn't want to make the choice to set aside her own desires, her own pleasure. I mean, granted, it was a good thing. She wanted to worship God up there. 
But she was unwilling to sacrifice what she wanted to do for the, for the good of others. And, and there was someone else who heard that response and heard my question of looking for someone to help. Someone else who was new, who was there for the very first time. They'd never been to city celebration before. And they said, hey, I, I'll stay down here and help out. And I said, I really don't want you to have to stay down here. That's why I asked someone who'd been there a number of times before so that the newcomers could go up there and enjoy the worship experience. But that person said, you know, I can come back in future months. I'll just stay down here and help out. And so they, along with a couple other people, stayed down and helped out. And they, they made the intentional choice to serve. And it was such a blessing to get to know them better and to see that heart of generosity. But it shows that if we want to be generous and we want to serve, it's going to take a very intentional choice. Because serving doesn't come naturally because we're naturally more self-centered and we just focus on what we want. This is one of the reasons why when I see people serving here at Freedom's, I don't want to take it for granted. That's why after a funeral, when we have the people who help serve the funeral meal afterwards, it's a big blessing to a lot of people. That's one of the reasons why in those times I always stick my head in the kitchen and say thank you to all the people in there who are serving and washing dishes and providing the food because it's behind-the-scenes stuff that is really a blessing. But they've made the choice to serve. It's one of the reasons why most Sundays after church service, I stick my head in the kitchen and say thank you to Don and Judy Schultze, who are the ones who usually are setting out the food and the, the coffee for, for us to enjoy. It's a behind-the-scenes thing that not that many people recognize, but they've made the choice to serve. And it's a blessing to us. It's one of the reasons why usually before I leave church, I stick my head in the library where the financial recorders are counting the offering and putting it all on the computer it's something that most of us probably never even think of. We don't even realize it happens. It's people who've chosen to selflessly serve for the benefit of us all. I want to acknowledge that because serving, uh, being gracious, being generous, being a blessing to others, it's an intentional choice. Now, when we come back to this intentional choice, you may be thinking, how do I do that? That's hard. I don't feel like doing that. But we need to recognize that the gospel really empowers us to be able to serve. It empowers us to serve. Oftentimes, our unwillingness to serve comes from that self-centeredness that is rooted in sin. And it comes from insecurities of, of wanting to get stuff for myself. You think about Jesus. Jesus was very secure in his identity. I mean, he knew who he was. He knew that he is God come to earth in human form. That he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And if that were us, that would definitely give us a sense of entitlement. But Jesus being secure in that identity was not worried about what people would think about him if he served. He wasn't worried about making sure that he got what was his because he was secure in his identity and his purpose and security. And so he was able to give freely to others. And for us, oftentimes, our unwillingness to give freely is rooted in some sense of insecurity uh, of feeling like we need to earn our worth, of, of we need to, to establish our sense of identity, of we need to work for our sense of significance in this life. One of the reasons I like to quote from movies is because movies can oftentimes verbalize what's going on inside of our minds that we may not be able to put words to. I, I think of the movie Rocky. Uh, you, you may be familiar with that movie, Rocky Balboa, the boxer. It's, it's an oldie, but a classic right now. Still a good movie to watch. Rocky, I mean, he's kind of a struggling, up-and-coming fighter in the boxing world. And he is very passionate about wanting to go the distance in a boxing match. One night, his girlfriend, Adrian, asks, Why are you so passionate and so obsessed with going the distance in the boxing match? 
because he's never done that before. And he says, you know what? I want to go the distance because that will show that I'm not a bum. He thinks that if he accomplishes that, making it the full number of rounds in the boxing match, that it'll show that he is somebody, that he is not a bum. I think of another sports movie, Chariots of Fire, even older than Rocky. I think, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's back there a while. Um, Chariots of Fire, I mean, it's a running movie, uh, Eric Liddell. Um, but there's this other character who's a significant character in the movie who is driven not by God. I mean, he doesn't get enjoyment from his running. He's driven to run well for a sense of identity and purpose. This other man, once he's interviewed before a big race, and he's asked, okay, what goes through your mind? What drives you in your running? He says, every time I step up there to the starting line, I have a thought going through my mind. He says, I have 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. He's saying that his sense of, of worth and significance in life is based on his performance in that race. And this is oftentimes what is the case for us. It may not be a race, but we base our sense of identity and significance and security in how we are doing in our jobs or in sports or our popularity level and all these other things. We're insecure in those things, so we're constantly trying to get more of these things for ourselves. We're focused on ourselves, and we're not as focused then on how can we give to others. But if we are secure in our identity, then we don't have to worry about trying to get for ourselves. Instead, we can freely give. This is where the gospel comes in because the gospel gives us a very secure sense of identity and value. And it comes from God and what Jesus has done for us. A few weeks ago, I put a document on our website called Gospel Identity. Uh, we were trying to just distill how does the gospel apply to our day-to-day lives. And so I put this document on there associated with that week's sermon. I put it back up for this week's sermon as well. If you go to our sermon page, you can find it on there even right now. It's called Gospel Identity. What difference does the gospel make in our day-to-day lives? And this document does a great job of showing how if we really internalize the truth of the gospel, we will be freed up to be generous in our serving of others around us. Let me give you a few examples from this. For instance, if I know that I'm loved by God only because of his good pleasure, then I don't have to compete with others in child-rearing and money and godliness and home decorating and accolades or friends. Because I'm secure in in God's love of me. I don't have to earn other people's love or worry about what they think. I can instead work for others' success and see their success as mine also. It's freeing. Another thing, if if I know I'm rich in God because of what he's already done for me and and I'm rich in everything that really matters to the gospel, then I don't have to prove my wealth in money, status, looks, career, competence, notoriety, and talent. I can instead use my time to pay attention to others' needs. So often we're focused on, on ourselves, on how much money do we have? What do other people think of us? How do I look? Am I competent in my job? Am I doing well in school? And those aren't bad things in and of themselves. They, are, they just aren't the place to look for our ultimate sense of identity and purpose. Those things, identity and purpose ultimately should come from the gospel. And when that happens, it frees us up to generously love those around us. Another example, if I know that I'll be taken care of by God's sovereign protection, then I don't have to preoccupy myself scheming and pressuring myself to getting ahead and doing things to get noticed. I can instead look around and see who is hurting. So you see, if, if we are really trusting God 
for his provision and protection in our lives. We don't have to worry about, okay, if I give something away, if I focus on someone else, am I going to make it? Is anyone going to provide for me? Because God will provide. It's just a matter of us trusting that. So God has given us many, many blessings uh, that we can pass on to other people through the gospel. It's really the gospel that enables us to be a blessing to others. He gives us many blessings, and that's really the root of our generosity. If we have that generous mentality, it'll flow over into generous actions. Now I want to give a little illustration of what this looks like to be generous uh, with others because of God's generosity towards us. And for this, I need a volunteer. Uh, Hannah, can you come up here? All right. Don't worry, this isn't too nerve-wracking. Melissa Brown made it through the first service. Okay, I have three envelopes here. What I would like you to do here is take one envelope and give it to someone over here, one envelope and give it to someone over here, and one envelope and give it to someone up in the balcony, okay? All right, that wasn't too hard, was it, Hannah? You can go be seated now. So, good work with that. Now, let me explain what is in those envelopes. In each one of those envelopes is cash, cold hard cash. One envelope has $20 in it, one envelope has $30, and one envelope has $50 in it. And each of you who received an envelope have an assignment during the next week if you are willing to take it. You don't have to take it. If you don't want to do this, you can simply hand the envelope back to me sometime today, or I'll be calling you sometime in the next 24 hours, and then you can say, you know, I don't really want to do this. But if you choose to accept the assignment, here's the assignment. This money has been freely given to you. You didn't do anything to earn it. It's given to you, pure gift, pure grace. What you are expected to do with this is use it as a blessing to other people around you in the next week. It cannot be used on family. It can be used on just one person or on multiple people. But in the next week, look for ways that you can use this money that's been freely given to you as a free blessing to others around you. And in, in there, there are some ideas, suggestions of things that you can do with that money. But it's, it's to illustrate that, you know what, God's given us so much, and we are called to pass that on to others generously. And so next week... Uh, it, it, here are the stipulations. You have to be willing to do that, and you have to be here next week. If you aren't going to be here next week, um, you need you just either give it back to me or give it to someone who will and tell me who else has it because we're going to be interviewing you in the service next week. It's not, um, it's not a super intimidating interview, but we just want to see what does it look like to be generous with something that's been generously entrusted to you. Now, if you didn't receive an envelope today, you aren't off the hook. I don't have more envelopes of cash. But I do want to give you a challenge because God has given each of us so much. We may not be rich financially, but if we have accepted Christ in our life, we are rich. And, and just if we are alive, we have so much that we can give to others. I want to challenge you, every one of us, sometime in the next week, myself included, to intentionally look for ways that we can show generosity and to others, to serve others, to be a blessing to others. And this may, look, may, may mean some sort of financial outlay. 
But it may also mean simply picking up a pen and a piece of paper and writing a thank you note or writing an encouraging note to someone that you haven't written something to for a while or ever. Maybe it means you see someone in a store who's struggling with something. Like one time out in the parking lot, I had my kids and I had a shopping cart and someone came along while I was loading the kids and the cart into the, um, into the, the car and they said, what, can I take this cart back for you? It was a blessing to me. So look for some way to be a blessing to someone else because what happens, even though serving and be a, being a blessing to others is not always natural to begin with, what happens as we internalize the gospel and as we make intentional choices of, of serving and being a blessing to others is that that mentality gets ingrained in us. If you study how habits are formed, they, they always start with one choice, sometimes intentional, sometimes not. And then they lead to another choice, to another, to another. And there's a snowball effect where over time those, those choices, in this case of generosity and, and giving and serving, those become ingrained in us, so that becomes a part of who we are. It becomes more natural. You think about when you're driving a car when you're learning, it takes your full focus to keep that car on the road and to know where you're going and know how to operate the car and stuff like that. But after a while, after you're so intentional in that for a while, it becomes second nature. It becomes ingrained in you and how to drive a car. It's the same with generosity. At first, it might take some intentionality. But over time, it becomes more and more natural, and we become people who represent Christ's generosity to others. Now, back, back during Ronald Reagan's administration uh, in his presidency, there was a secretary of state named George Schultz. Uh, George Schultz, uh, he, one of his responsibilities was preparing every ambassador who would be sent overseas to represent the United States. And every time he would have an ambassador who was, he was preparing to send overseas, he would invite them into his office where he had a large globe. And he would say, go over to that globe and show me which country is yours. Because what he wanted to do is test them and find out if they knew for sure where they are going. Because you know what? If they don't know where that country is, they may know the name of it, but if they don't know where it is, they're, they're lacking some essential piece of knowledge to inform how they're going to do their job. So he'd say to everyone, go over to that globe, point to which country is yours. And every single ambassador through all this time was able to do that. They were well enough prepared. There was one time, though, where one of George Schultz's good friends, Mike Mansfield, who was, um, I think he was a U.S. representative and stuff, he was going to be a short-term ambassador to Japan. And, and, and George Schultz even did this with his good friend. He said, go over to that globe, tell me which country is yours. Mike Mansfield, going to be the ambassador to Japan, went over there and he pointed to the USA and said, this is my country. And George Schultz, in an interview later on after Reagan was done with his presidency, George Schultz said, you know what? That changed the way I talked with ambassadors about their role. Because I realize now that their country is the United States. They're serving their country somewhere else. And here's exactly what he said. He said, he, tells, he told ambassadors after that, never forget that you're over there in that country, but your country is the United States. You are there to represent us. Take care of our interests and never forget who you represent. So for us, I mean, I say most or all of us are Americans. This is our earthly country, but we also have a citizenship in heaven. We are called ambassadors for Christ. We are called to go out and represent him live in the way that he would live. That means pointing people to the, to the gospel, and it means living this generous lifestyle of serving others. 
Last night, Jesus showed his disciples how he wanted them to live of serving others selflessly. May we be faithful to internalize the gospel and pour out the generosity to others that he's poured out on us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great grace to us, your grace not only to to bring us into a relationship with you, but your grace to call us to serve you, to be your representatives in this world. And that's such a, a crazy reality to think about. But Lord, I pray that you will equip us, that you will help us to eternalize the gospel so that we don't have to focus on our own interests, that we don't have to focus on our own insecurities, but that we will be free to reach out to others, to sow generously, to pour out the riches that you've entrusted us to other people, Lord. We know that everything we have is ultimately yours. May we be faithful to pass it on to others and to be a blessing even this week. In Jesus' name, amen.